This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In verse number four, the apostle Paul, speaking of his preaching, said that it was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. But notice this phrase, please. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. I want to speak to you on that subject this evening in demonstration of the Spirit and power. In the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, we've noted already that Paul entered into Corinth and was there for 18 months. And the Bible tells us, if you'd like to turn there with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 18, the Bible tells us that the apostle Paul entered into Corinth and there 
uh, he found a married couple, Aquila and Priscilla. He stayed in their home. They shared the occupation of being tent makers, and together they worked making tents. And as Paul's manner was, he would go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and preach the message of Christ to all those who had gathered in the synagogue. And the Bible tells us that some of those who heard him believed, but many of the Jews opposed his preaching, and they blasphemed uh, against God. Uh, Paul later would depart from the synagogue and enter into the house of one whose name was Justice, whose house was near into the synagogue, and there he continued to preach in this home that was near the synagogue. In Acts 18, in verse number 8, the Bible tells us, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And so Paul had left the synagogue to go to the home of justice to preach because of the opposition of the Jews. And as he continued to preach there, the chief ruler of the synagogue put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus as his Savior. The Bible goes on to tell us in verse 8, And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. For 18 months, the Apostle Paul preached in Corinth. Uh, many souls were saved. A thriving church was established. And so we asked the question this evening, how did that happen? How did it happen in the midst of a wicked and godless culture? How did it happen in the midst of a hostile political environment? Well, it happened the same way David entered the valley of Elah to face the giant. That's the way Paul came to Corinth. And there he faced the giants of idolatry and immorality, of corrupt industry and secular philosophy. And how did he go? He went armed with a gospel sling and five smooth stones. And he was used of God to topple the giants which held Corinth in subjection to sin and death. And he preached there the soul-saving message of the gospel which gave life to the dying. It gave sight to the blind. It gave freedom to the captives. That's how it was accomplished. A man went in simple faith and obedience to God and he preached in demonstration of the Spirit, and of power. And many souls were saved. Now, we'll note three things this evening as we look at this passage. Number one, we'll note the message of Paul. Number two, the mystery of God. And number three, the ministry of the Spirit. I want you to see, first of all, the message of Paul. What was Paul's message to this Corinthian city, these Corinthian citizens who were uh, embroiled in the Greek culture. They were infatuated, as we learned last time, with wisdom. They were followers of philosophers 
They would gather to hear men make speeches and present systems of wisdom and philosophy. It was into this city that Paul entered. And how did he enter? Well, the Bible tells us in verse number one, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. I did not come, he said, with oratory skill. I did not come with wisdom, the wisdom of the world, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined... The Apostle Paul said, I want you to know I made a determination. I made a choice. I made a decision. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I laid aside the armor of Saul, and I just brought the sling and the five smooth stones. I came to you with the message of the gospel. Verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The message of Paul. Now, Paul's message was marked by three things that we find in these opening verses. First of all, simplicity. Secondly, weakness. And thirdly, power. This was, or these were the terms that described the preaching of the Apostle Paul. Simple, weak, and powerful. Well, let's look at them. First of all, the simplicity of his preaching. He said, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. I did not come to impress you. I did not come to mimic the style of the Greek philosophers. I did not in any way try to appeal to that part of your nature or of your preferences or of your fleshly tastes and your carnal desires. I I did not come with excellency of speech. I, I was not trying to impress you in any way. I simply came knowing one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified the simplicity of his message, the simplicity of his preaching. He did not rely, as I said a moment ago, on the unproven armor of Saul. He relied solely upon the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His message is given to us in summary form in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You fast forward just a few pages over there and find, if you would please, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Again, he emphasizes the message that he gave and the simplicity of this message. He says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 1.17, when the apostle Paul was speaking concerning the division among the believers in Corinth, as they were concerned about who they were baptized by, Paul said, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That was his priority, to preach the gospel. And he says here in verse 1 of chapter 15, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, the good news which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I have delivered unto you first of all that which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, 
and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul had a three-point outline. <laughs> Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Number two, he was buried. And number three, he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. A very simple message. Christ died for you. He died for you, made the payment for your sin on the cross. He was buried, but on the third day he arose again. And he rose again to impart life to all who will believe. That was the message of Paul, a simple message. It wasn't a complicated message. It wasn't an enticing message adorned with all the smooth terms of Greek philosophy designed to, to impress you with his mental uh, uh, skill or his great oration. Just a simple message. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He died on the cross to make payment for your sin. And if you'll receive him, he'll save you and give you life everlasting. So we see the simplicity of his preaching. Then we see the weakness of his body. Notice what he says in verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, while the Greek culture was prevalent, let me tell you that the Roman government was in control. And Rome was ruled by powerful people. And the Romans were obsessed with strength and power. And here's a man who comes in to a city contrary to the secular thinking of the day, not only in the sense that he is not using or employing their wisdom, but he's coming to them not in strength and power, not as a great orator, not as a physical presence, not as an appealing, attractive speaker. No, he's coming to them in quite the opposite, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. <laughs> I think of Goliath as he disdained David, the unassuming youth, in the same way the world disdains those who will not wear the armor of the Philistines those whose bodies do not bear the marks of sin hold no attraction to this world, but rather those who, like Paul, bore the marks of Christ have the power of God upon them. You see, Paul did not come in strength according to the strength of the flesh. He came in weakness and fear and trembling. That was a despised posture. John Phillips writes concerning this, and he said of Paul that he arrived in Corinth after horrendous experiences in Macedonia. He had been badly beaten and imprisoned at Philippi. At Thessalonica, his preaching had resulted in a citywide uproar. At Berea, the Jews who had incited riot at Thessalonica showed up to stir up the Bereans against him. And while walking the streets of Athens, friendless and alone, anxious for the infant Macedonian churches, he was stirred by the crass idolatry of the world's intellectual capital. 
The Bible said that he was moved, he was stirred, he was stirred with anger. And the meager results, Philip's right, from his preaching at Athens seemed to have depressed him or discouraged him. Do you know what Paul was? A man. That's what he was. A normal guy. An average man. Now, he was unaverage in so many ways. He was a brilliant man. But he was made of the same thing that you and I were made of, or are made of, rather. Flesh. And in his travels and the persecutions that he suffered, his body was riddled with pain and affliction. And by the time he got to Corinth, he was physically worn out, perhaps diseased, greatly discouraged, greatly burdened, wondering if his preaching was making any impact at all. We've all been there, haven't we? And you and I may not be as weak in body as was Paul, or we may be at times weaker in body than Paul. And from a human standpoint, you may possess great ability, or you may lack ability. You may be attractive, or you may not be. Some wish to have a golden voice when they speak. Instead of gold, all they get is gravel. But here's the good news. It doesn't depend on the golden words or the gravelly words. It depends upon the power and the spirit of God. And the recognition of our weakness is the key to our strength. Paul learned a great lesson with his thorny experience, didn't he? The thorn in the flesh that he had, he prayed three times that God would remove it. He didn't get the answer he'd hoped for, maybe. He got a better one. My grace is sufficient for thee. He said, Paul, I'm not going to remove that, but I'm going to give you grace to endure it. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, concerning that experience, he writes and says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. Now, we read over that without really thinking about what he's saying, don't we? I take pleasure in infirmities. That's in weaknesses. I don't like my weaknesses. Some of them I know I have. Some of them you know I have. Many of them my wife knows I have. Some of them only I know. I don't like weaknesses. Reproaches. I don't like to be ridiculed or hated or misrepresented or misunderstood. Do you? I don't like for people to think, what's wrong with that guy? Oh, he's one of those. <laughs> when I was with some of our college students down in Florida, we stopped in at a restaurant to have a meal together, and the waitress asked the boys where they attended college, and they told her. And she said, and I quote, oh, you're one of those. And she didn't mean it in a positive way. It was not a compliment. You're one of those. 
Yes, that's who we are. Are you willing to bear that? Paul was hated by the Jews. He was hated by the Roman officials. They didn't like it because every time he showed up, he caused a stir. In necessities. How many of you like to not have what you need? <laughs> Paul learned to go without. He said, I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to be, I've learned how to abound. In necessities, when, when it didn't seem that I had what I thought I needed. In persecutions, in distresses, in hard times, in difficult times. He said, I take pleasure in those things, for when I am weak, when I'm at the end of myself and I'm broken down and I have nothing to offer, no strength to take the next step, then am I strong. Why? Because then I recognize how weak I am and I yield to God and I allow him to work in me and through me. I can't tell you the number of times that I have gotten my car and said, that was the worst sermon in the history of the world. And somebody send me a text message and say, that helped me. And I'm thinking, how in the world did it help them? I was so discouraged by it. I thought it'd just be better if I just didn't do it anymore. You see, in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. This is an important lesson for us to learn because we must consider why the Corinthian church was divided. What were they divided over? They were divided over people. Oh, I'm of Paul. No, I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas or Peter. That I like those guys. I mean, man, that, I mean, you heard that Peter preach. He's got some passion. Well, you know, he's a little uncouth for me. I like that Apollos. He's a really smooth guy. He's, I mean, he's skilled. I like him. Well, yeah, I'm a, I like Paul. He's my man. How silly is that? This is the point Paul is making. He said it doesn't depend on any of those things. It depends on the power of the Spirit of God working through a weak instrument. So what Mark is preaching? Well, the simplicity of it, the weakness of his body, then the power of the Spirit. Look in verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. That's what the world wants to hear. That's what appeals to the world. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, he came in demonstration. What does that mean? It means to prove the genuineness of something. Paul said, here's the evidence. Here's the proof. Here is the substance of the Spirit. You know, we live in an artificial world, don't we? The entertainment of this world is artificial. Stages, scenes, writers, actors portray things that aren't real. Social media 
fills the minds of the masses with the artificial. I mean, if you look at social media, you think every day is a holiday in some people's lives, right? Everything's happy-go-lucky. It's like a 1950s television program. It's not that way, friends. It's not that way. It, it portrays a world that is artificial. Filters and Photoshop alter our images and create artificial impressions. Our current political and social culture is filled with that which is inauthentic. The people in our nation who are charged with telling us the truth and reporting the news objectively have fallen into the snare of advancing their own agenda and they're caught up in the ratings war. They'll say anything to get a click. It's not real. It's artificial. And it distorts the way we see things. Paul said, I came in genuine power, not in some artificial show. Think of the people who go to churches to be entertained. We don't entertain people here. Number one, we're not that entertaining. Number two, it won't do anything for you if we were. You don't need it. You need the truth. Paul came and preached a simple, straightforward message in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It was real. It was refreshing. And it caused the citizens of Corinth to respond. And how did they respond? What enabled them to respond? It was nothing but the quickening work of the Holy Spirit of God that drew them to Christ and revealed the person of Jesus that enabled them to respond. So in this day, in this hour, in this fluctuating, fabricated world, do you know what we're seeing? We're seeing a desire in the hearts of people to know what's real. And the way they're going to know it and the way they're going to hear it is through God's people, the church. So what's our message, Pastor? Just a simple message. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He was buried and he rose again. And if you believe on him, he'll forgive you of your sin and give you eternal life. That's the message. Well, I mean, what, what kind of shape do I need to be in? Oh, it doesn't matter. Just give it out. Well, I, I'm not very good. Well, Moses tried that one, didn't he? Uh, 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 Lord, uh, I'm not the man. <laughs> God said, I'll be with your mouth. Don't you worry about it. Moses offered three or four excuses there, didn't he? God said, I'll take care of all of them. If he took care of all of Moses, don't you think he'll take care of all of yours? He will. The weakness of his body, the power of the spirit. That's what we need. That's what we need. That's what David had when he came out of the sheepfold. He'd been walking with God in private. That's a high price, you know. Not many of us are willing to pay for that price. 
we want the public. We, we want to slay the giant. Yeah, we want the cheers. But we don't want to spend time with God. And until we learn to do so, until we walk in the power of the Spirit, we will not be as effective as we possibly could be. Let me give you the second thought this evening. The message of Paul, here's the mystery of God. The mystery of God. Now, Paul said, I came this way with this message for this intent. Notice it in verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, saving faith does not depend on the fleeting, faulty wisdom of men. If you've lived long enough, you've noticed that trends come and go. What we're reported one day is changed the next. Years ago, we were told to avoid certain behaviors, and a few years later, we were, turned, we were told, no, no, don't avoid those behaviors. Uh, participate, you know, eat that kind of stuff, and uh, that'll, that'll actually help you lose weight. <laughs> you see, trends come and go. Philosophies come and go. Isms come and go. But the wisdom of God and the power of God is forever. So saving faith does not depend on the fleeting, faulty wisdom of men. Saving faith is rooted in the wisdom and power of an all-knowing, benevolent God. The God who spoke this universe into existence, whose hands formed man of the dust of the ground, whose breath imparted life to him and whose blood was shed to pay the price for the redemption of that man. Our faith should stand in the power of God. It shouldn't be based on any personality or any philosophy. Notice verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. That means complete to those who are in Christ. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. You see, the wisdom of God stands here in contrast to the wisdom of the world and its rulers and its noble men. And he says the result of the wisdom of this world and its noble men is that it comes to naught. It amounts to nothing. Just this week, the news came out. Uh, maybe six feet is not required. Maybe just three. And those shields that the kids have been encased in in their classrooms, there's no, there's no data to prove that that has mitigated the risk at all. <clears throat> what more will we find out? I don't know. What do we find? We find the wisdom of men comes to naught. Now, we have to live in this world, and we have to respond to what we know, and we have, we, we, have to, we have to behave ourselves wisely. But the point here is this. The wisdom of men comes to naught. It comes to nothing. So why do we follow it all the time? Now, I'm not saying, you know, I'm talking about this situation. I'm not saying we're going to, throw away our mask or, 
or not cleanse our hands. And I'm, I'm not saying we act irresponsibly. That is not what I'm advocating. I'm using this circumstance because it is so prevalent and so prominent in our society and our thinking to say to you that we can't depend upon what people tell us. We have to depend upon what God says. Speaking of the value of wisdom, apart from the knowledge and fear of God, Solomon said, vanity of vanity, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. In other words, wisdom not rooted in Christ, the world's wisdom, the thinking of this age, that would have the audacity to explain to you that this complex universe happened as a result of some by-chance explosion. Okay, when did this by-chance explosion happen? Oh, billions and billions of years. Do you know why it was billions and billions and billions of years ago? Because none of us were around to see it then. And, and the only way you could even concoct and imagine that such a thing would be true is if it happened slowly over time. Well, I'm just curious. If that happened then, why is it happening today? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Verse 14 of chapter 1, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Verse 15, that which is crooked cannot be straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. In other words, if you're looking for problems, you're always going to find them, and the wisdom of this world can never fix them. We live in a world that, especially at a time now in our nation, that everyone is looking for every injustice they can find. They walk around with... Uh, looking glasses, you know, magnifying glasses. They dig through your social history, trying to find a post or a quote or something you've said. They want to they wanna find an injustice. And then they think they can straighten out the crooked. They cannot. There's only one thing that will straighten out the crooked. There was only one thing that will mend the broken. That is the gospel of Jesus. In verse 16, I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I've come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. So what he's giving us here are his credentials. He is qualified to speak on the subject of wisdom. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. So what does the wisdom of the world bring? It brings, as Paul said, nothing. Vanity, as Solomon said. But then Paul speaks of the wisdom of God, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. It's a mystery because the natural man doesn't perceive it. He doesn't understand it. He is not able to grasp hold of it. 
which God ordained before the world unto our glory. The wisdom of God we see here is eternal. It is ordained before the world. Before you and I showed up, the eternal wisdom of God was at work. It is the wisdom of God that created this universe and ordered it. It is the wisdom of God that developed and, and the plan of, of eternal redemption. It is the wisdom of God that stands in contrast to this world. And Paul says here in verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, none of the noble people, the people that are looked to, the people that are revered and respected, they didn't get a hold of this. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, it was hidden. It was unknown to them. Why was it hidden and unknown to them? Because Satan blinded them from it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's the devil, the God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why does he do so? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who's the image of God, should shine unto them. Why is it hidden? It is hidden because they are sinful, depraved beings, and they are blinded by Satan. And so when you watch the nightly news, and you just can't believe that people would behave and do these things, understand something. They're blind. And Satan is working supernaturally. Goliath is standing in the valley. And they're scared to death because they don't understand it. And that leads me to the third point, the ministry of the Spirit. What makes the difference? Paul said, I, I came with a simple message. I, I came with a message of the gospel. He says, I came declaring to you the mystery of God, but I came with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is what makes the difference. Notice in verse 9, but as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. What is he saying here? He is saying it is beyond the ability of man to comprehend what God has prepared for those who love him. No man has seen anything which can compare to what God has yet to reveal to us. We've heard no sound so grand, nor words, uh, no words sufficient to describe the glories of God and of his heaven. We can't even, we can't even begin to grasp it. Sometimes the fear of the unknown is a strong fear in our lives, and, and we think about spending eternity in heaven. And I remember dwelling on that as a kid, how long eternity is, to the point where it just, it just, it almost caused me to have a nauseous feeling because I couldn't comprehend it. It's not that I don't want to go there, I do. But I can't grasp it. And then to, to try to describe what heaven must be like, we can't do that. It's beyond our ability. We haven't seen anything so grand. We've, we've not heard anything so sweet. It's just beyond us. 
And then the apostle Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and in verse number two, he said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one called up into the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. Paul said it was impossible to utter, and it was impermissible to utter it. He said, I can't describe it to you. And if I could, the Lord doesn't allow me to do so. Because we can't comprehend it. And perhaps it would raise more questions than we could find answers, and perhaps it would cause us to be distracted. You know, there are many people who spend their lives trying to look through the pages of the Bible to find the unsolved mysteries of the Bible. God has made certain things clear to us, and those are the things we need to make sure we've mastered. So how do we get a hold of the mystery? Well, God reveals them to us. Look at verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? For example, I don't know you, and you don't know me the way I know me and the way you know you. I can't know you to the degree that you know yourself. The thoughts that you think, the plans that you have, the things that make you happy, the things that distress you, the way you interpret certain events, the way you respond to certain phrases and things, it's different within all of us. And so who can really know us but we know ourselves? In the same way, it is impossible, he says, for us to know God. It is impossible for us to understand God's plan and God's love. And so he says, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. What does the Spirit of God do? The Spirit of God searches the things of God, the mind of God. And those things have been revealed to us by the Spirit of God, who is our only source for understanding and wisdom. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to man the things of God, to bridge the gap between the eternal, holy God and mortal, depraved humanity. Have you ever tried to communicate with an earthworm? <laughs> It's hard to do. How can we comprehend God? Now, we're made in his image, so we have the abilities to comprehend things that animals do not have. But in truth, how, do we, how can we expect to comprehend the magnitude of God? We can't unless the Spirit of God communicates that to us. So the Holy Spirit is our teacher. As Jesus said, he's our comforter, John 14, 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. 
What is the job of the Holy Spirit? To be my teacher, to bridge the gap, to help me understand, to reveal to me that I'm a sinner, to reveal to me that God loves me, that his son died on the cross for me. Notice verse 12 in our text. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, because that won't help you, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. In other words, you're not going to get this from Aristotle and Plato. You're not going to get this from the leading philosophers of Corinth. They can't reveal to you anything of God. No, your teacher's the Holy Ghost. He says in verse 12, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, or verse 13 rather. Then notice verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Unless the Spirit opens to you this understanding, you will not receive it. Unless the Holy Spirit is living in you, you will not understand God's Word. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? I mean, when you hear these these experts question God. I want you to think about the utter arrogance of that. That the creature would call into question the creator. The eternal one, the wisdom of the ages, would somehow be held in a hearing by some arrogant, sinful man who happened to have a sheepskin from an Ivy League school and think that he knows more than God does. The audacity of that. The utter arrogance of that. You see, that man does not know the mind of the Lord and he has nothing to offer God. But you and I who had the Spirit of God have the mind of Christ. He has imparted to us his mind, communicated to us his word. We have it. We hold it in our hands. Hopefully we hold it in our heart. We saturate our mind, and the Spirit of God uses the word of God to reveal to us the things of God. So, how did Paul come? In demonstration of the Spirit and of power. How is it that you and I must come into a world, into the workplace, into our home, in demonstration of the Spirit and of power? What's our message? Very simple. Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. And if you'll respond to him, he'll save you from your sin. Just give it simply. 
It's okay if you're weak. Your strength wouldn't make a difference. The wisdom and philosophies of this world will not save a man. Only God's power, God's spirit. It's a mystery, and no man is able to receive it unless the Spirit of God ministers to that man. And Paul said, let's go back to chapter 1 then. Who cares if you're of Apollos? Who cares if you're of Peter? They're nobody. It only matters if you know Jesus. Don't be caught up in the thinking of this age, he says. Be renewed in your mind by the Spirit of God. May the Lord help us in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.